1: Hi listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to the special holiday season episodes of the Practice of Learning Teams. In episode 13 and 15, I'm joined by Bob Edwards and Andrea Baker on the learning of learning teams. I've known Bob and Andy for a number of years now, and I respect the work they do with Dr. Todd Conklin and training HOP and learning teams and supporting organisations on their HOP journey. In this special two-part series, we explore the learning of learning teams and our shared experiences in our own development and the development of others. From the hosts of the podcast series, myself, Glynis McCarthy and Brent Robinson, we hope you enjoy the series and that 2021 will be a great year for building a better community of practice. We will return on the 6th of January with a special MIDI Learning Team episodes on dynamic risk and learning teams. From all of us to you, please take care and see you in 2021.
0: Yeah, so our goal is to gain an understanding. So I'm big on whatever helps. So we, we did a learning team on a uh, transform, a, a, um, was an engine that, that ran a big generator. Anyway, the, the engine blew up. You don't care about the details, but the, they were doing a forensic analysis of that engine and they should, because it was a catastrophic failure, like beyond anything, and I'm a gearhead, beyond anything I've seen an engine do. Wow. And it, and so they should they will they'll take that thing apart and probably literally look at some of these materials under a microscope to figure out yeah. what yeah. happened but what that didn't tell was the context of the work you've got seven remote sites you've mm-hmm. got a handful of maintenance crew members you can't get more people trained in maintenance because there's no maintenance schools in this country anywhere near them they can't get parts for this generator and they can't even get a replacement for it and and the the daily checks had turned into weekly checks had turned in once every 10 days in the control room they didn't have hardly any sensors of the i mean that context was so rich that and we learned all this stuff in two one-hour sessions with the maintenance crew and was so cool because when we were viewing, we had the flip i use flip charts a lot so does andy especially when we're in person we just write notes on the wall so we can keep track of the conversation and i just took all the flip charts in met with the staff we had some of the learning team members there And uh, we were just explaining how this this happened and actually how it could totally happen again with the current situation and the conditions out there. And the guy that was there, that was the Y-Tree analysis guy, I watched his body language because he went from sort of this to this to pretty soon he's leaning back in his chair. And after we did a little presentation of what all we had learned, kind of shared with them, uh, it's not like a report out, it's just here's what we've learned so far this guy looks at me and he goes, you just made my job so easy. He said, I've been going around doing individual interviews, trying to piece together. You're telling me you just sat down with mechanics and they told you all this? And so that was really cool. So they will still do their Y-tree. They will still do the forensic analysis of that engine, but now they have so much more context that we gained by just building a safe place to talk. So, yeah, Which so I think it all comes together.
1: Yeah, because um, uh, th- th- there's a standard called ISO 12100 for machinery safety. And-, and it basically says that you need to understand the context of how the hazard functions.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you need to understand the context of how the human interacts with the hazard. And for mm-hmm. me, a learning team is all about that human interaction, it's that, that, that relationship that people have with this thing. Yeah. Whereas things and like Ops and and all these other um, fault modes are really good about the hazard. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But that ISO standard, I mean, the really exciting part for us is the the fact that that thought process of looking at those two things was born from the same thought process that, you know, learning teams were born out right? of so this, yeah. this idea of understanding that interface and and you can see now sort of in the history books, the moment in time that a large organization decided that, hey, you know, we're going to create this ISO standard for, you know, not just one group of people to look at, but a significant portion of the population is going to be, you know, subject to, to making sure that we have an understanding of these things, you know, before we make decisions. And that's, um, that's a shift when we talk about, you know, past, present and future, that's a, that's a shift that's fun to watch while it's happening. Um, because it is—it's happening around us, right? Where you know different groups of people are um, understanding how that blue line knowledge or you know work work is done is crucial in order to make any sort of decision and how we want to improve, right? We 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 need that information in order to to understand where we need to go next, and we need the people closest to the work to help us even know how yeah. to take that next step
0: so right, that path
1: that's right and I, and I think that challenge is that you 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 get the um and i, I don't know if i use the right term you get the evangelical groups of people that that like to take that new shiny toy and mm-hmm. and and make it look at certain a certain light and 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 that's why i mean we have this constant debate about the you know blue line black line we, we talk about workers imagined work done but the mm-hmm. reality is there's nothing wrong with planning
2: Oh, no, you need planning.
1: Prescribing <laughs> what, what you think things will look like. That, that That's really important that these things aren't a divide.
2: Correct. Yeah. And I think and that, too. unfortunately, yeah. kind of how how we function as humans, anytime, anytime we're asked to sort of rewrite our mental picture, rewrite a mental schema, we tend to remove things In the thought process and then oftentimes those get kind of dumped into a different category of that You know, this is now this is now bad, right? This category of things is Mm. now something. We're not supposed to do Like root
0: cause no more root root cause. cause. No more
2: root cause The root cause is bad, right? And and that's not what human and organizational performance is about. It's about Understanding that there's ways to do what we already do quite well Even better by applying another lens of thought process to it.
0: Yeah,
1: or having dialogue Oh
2: yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. I, I got told the other day that that learning teams was was simply um, uh, dialogic thinking, and that I just simply popularised it. And I said, uh, yes, I had, and um, it actually came from Plato. Um, and I'm waiting for his lawyers to write to me.
2: <laughs> That's a great <laughs>
1: answer, um, Because you know, dialog, dialogic thinking is 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 based on adult education principles which yeah. is that uh, if, if you're in a room and you're telling people what to learn, <laughs> you, you, nothing's going to stick. Right. If you co-create and co-construct with them, that, right. everything's going to stick.
2: Because yep. we all have, right, I mean, we're, we're not building mental models from scratch when it comes to working with adults. We already all have a thought process about how things should work and what they should look like. And so yes. to create a, a false construct of authority as to who has the best idea Mm -hmm. um it it does not work very well especially when you know the folks who are subject to that decision of who had the best idea has to live with that decision and work with it every day in and out i don't think there is a in a human in history that would be okay with um with, with that thought process.
1: Of, well, in actual fact, um, we, we actually describe it. Um, uh, sh- humans look like that ugly pumpkin you can't take to country fair because it's got all these bumps and lumps in it. And that's what <laughs> adults are like because as children, you know, we, we, we learn through layering.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: As adults, we don't like that stuff. Um, we, we, we call it, uh, when I was talking to Sam the other week, um, you know, I called it water torture. Training has become water torture. We hold yeah, the person yeah. down, we pour oh, it on them. Ch-
0: Yeah, it's, it's Tayloristic, right? It's we're fighting against the against Taylorism, right? Where you, you line kids up and you force feed them information and they're supposed to retain it. It's the same thing with the workforce, right? It's that and even with, with you talking about planning, the planning actually gets much better when people that actually do the work are involved in the planning, whereas, you know, Frederick Taylor said separate the two. The worker's not capable of doing what the planner does. The planner's smarter than the worker, right? You guys know all this stuff. And so we're fighting against a lot of those. And so I also believe that plans are important, but they're also, as soon as you go into motion, things start changing, variability kicks in. And you've seen, uh, Brent, in your sort of history, we've we've moved that that black line, blue line used to be more of a drift model. And you see it now as more, we've, we use more of a variability model because it's a lot of times we're we see people overperforming the plan, right? They're doing more than what the plan even called for. Oh, okay. I got three, I yeah. got three good quotes for you here. Churchill said, "Plans are of little importance, but planning is essential." <laughs> Eisenhower said, "Plans are worthless, worthless, but planning is everything." And then my favorite philosopher said, "Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face." Mike Tyson. <laughs> so there it is, right? So we need <laughs> plans, right? But we also need to realize that 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 we're going to go into motion and things are going to change pretty quickly. And the people close to the work, they know this better than anybody.
1: And I think what's happening is the bit that we're missing is that ability to reflect. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, you know, every morning I have a plan when I get out of bed. Now, now, some mornings that plan is you, you know, fall out of bed. Sometimes that plan is yeah. you actually have a deliberate... You make a, you make a list, right? Yeah, you make a list. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but what's really interesting is that how often does your list, whether it be in your head or on your paper, Bob, how often does those, those two things actually pan out to be the same?
0: I got two things done on my list yesterday, but I was busy all day long. Two <laughs> things, Brent. That sounds like I had use. every intention of getting every one of them. I have about 12 things on my plan from yesterday, and today I've gotten about three more things done on it. And I still feel like I've been busy all day long, but I just...
1: It's interesting, my family come up with a list of chores for me during a lockdown. <laughs> when you can't go out and buy something. And I said, you need to plan for the next lockdown so I can go and buy the stuff. So if you have a lockdown, I can then do it. But don't ask me to do something, you know, when we're in lockdown, it's just not possible. Do you you guys not have Amazon there? Uh, We we do, but what happened was that uh, everyone went online and there are only so many postal workers or couriers that can exist. So what, what was interesting there. is that I, I could order something from the US where COVID-19 is rampant and have it delivered to my door faster than <laughs> buying it from a store a kilometre away.
0: <gasps>
1: oh, yeah. Well, uh, funny. So, um, but that just reinforced that systems are brittle. Yep.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: It just reinforced it. And, yeah. and just going back to learning teams, um, an area that I see is... that see what we're is, talking about? Yeah, that, that funny thing. Oh, oh um, the, 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 I think one of the big values of learning teams is actually dealing with hazards that people can't see. Mm. That We talk about health and safety, but so much effort gets put onto the safety side. We seldom think about the health side.
2: Mm.
1: Whether that be chronic, whether that be uh, psychosocial risks, we don't really talk about the health side. And and that's because we can't see it. And and I think that's where learning teams become extremely powerful because your traditional models of hazard ID don't function well when you can't see something. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that with COVID-19. So I'd I'd
2: add even a little bit to that, Brent, because I definitely agree with you. But I think the part that, that we might add is that our traditional tools don't work well in complex environments and the, the fact that um, e- even the things that we can see, we don't have a good understanding of how they can couple with other things that we can see or not see in order to have an event occur. So it's actually, even, even if, you know, most of the discussion in a learning team, Revolves around, you know, something that, that would be seemingly tangible to, to, to somebody who's walking in the area. Like I could physically see that cart moving. I could, you know, I could physically see, you know, that intersection. It's not until we understand how they function in real life that we see that those seemingly innocuous, unimportant things can come together, and suddenly we have uh, an event that we didn't see coming, right? And so I, I agree, and I'm adding to that thought process oh, that invisible becomes invisible when we, when we don't know how all the pieces interact.
1: Yeah, I think as humans, we, we don't perceive danger um, uh, through uh, time or, or proximity, Does that makes sense? So the further something's away from us, or the longer it takes, we don't perceive it as having the same uh, narrative of danger that would see if something's being presented to me right now and that's the problem with mm. the virus. People are hearing these numbers, but unless they've been directly affected by someone, they don't believe it, right? It makes sense. Well, I mean, our,
2: risk, our risk perception is built on personal experience, right? It's, it's very hard to adjust someone else's risk perception unless you have a, you know, yeah. an, an experience yourself and, with it. And so remember, as much data as we throw, at, at people. It's, it's, hard. it's hard for our brains to do that kind of, kind of by design, right? To make
0: sure that we're not easily manipulated. Well, we would but. be paralyzed, right? We would yeah. do nothing. We, if we if like absorbed everything that's put out there, like they, they even say there's, a, there's an issue with all these shows that show the dangers of nature. Like kids are afraid to go, I'm an outdoor enthusiast. I take my kids out like climbing and rafting and kayaking and skiing, right? And, but there's so much like the river monsters, and the, I know I'm not picking on these shows, but they they actually build a fear um, because people can see what can happen. So if you took everything in, like you wouldn't go to work, you wouldn't drive, you wouldn't fly. You you know you kind of have to manage that somehow. Eat wouldn't drink. Right. Out, right? We'd, yeah.
2: we'd be paralyzed by fear if we understood every, every possible Thing that uh, could kill you, outcome that could, you know, that could hurt us or kill us. Yeah. But we, we struggle
1: to see uh, with, with the health side, we struggle uh, to see consequences. Does it make sense? We, we struggle. The, the story, the narrative is much harder with the health side. Yet learning teams really helps in that way.
0: Well, and there's Tell a piece of the health well, let me just say this about the, the health side. Are you also, yeah. or let me ask, are you also talking about sort of the, the mental health of all of us that are, you said yes. earlier that- It's uh, chronic and listened.
1: psychosocial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 When they actually focused.
0: feel listened to, there's a sort of a restorative thing that happens there. Okay, go ahead. Tell right. uh, yeah, no,
1: no, because we, we see them as both. And the, and the fact I, I, um, um, I sadly, I, I've had to do about three workplace suicides in the last sort of 12, 18 months where, um, once again, my job's not to determine, um, you know, if it was suicide, that's the coroner, but the fact that the person died in a workplace and they died in a circumstance that wasn't normal for their work, it um, was being investigated. And, and it was really interesting. So I ran a series of learning teams um, with, with some people ar- ar- around this um, to simply do it from a restorative process. Right. But what the organization learned was amazing. Because what we found is that these traditional controls that companies put in these employee assistance programs, these things that they put in place, really put all the load on the worker to act on it.
2: Yeah, you and take the, the action, you've
1: got yep. Had no visibility apart from the number of, of calls. And for instance, things that we discovered were things like uh, uh, one group, um, if, if they wanted to tap into this program for support, um, the closest person was a two-hour drive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. OK. Uh, one person revealed that they called the EAP center. Okay, and they were asked, um, "Was it life-threatening?" Were they considered going to take their life?" And the person said, "Well, no." They said, "Well, um, call us back in four weeks time."
0: It might be life-threatening by then, crap. Oh, I'd say, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's a, that's the whole thing. Some of stuff compounds and builds. And so, yeah, that's it's really interesting. So what do you guys, what do you find with your learning team?
1: Well, well what we found was that the organization uh, wasn't getting any decent data to tell them. So they weren't seeing, so, so several things. Medical privacy will, always goes up with medical practitioners, particularly with mental health practitioners. But they basically say that, that we will inform you if, if we feel the person is at risk of harming themselves or harming others. So I asked the innocent question, what criteria do you use for that? Well, that's actually the individual judgment of every health professional. But I'm thinking, that doesn't sound very good.
0: Talk about variability.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and someone said, oh, well, you know, they, they could have been acting out. Well, how much acting out do you need to do before it actually goes wrong the situation? Mm-hmm. So what the organization wasn't seeing is they were seeing the number of calls. What they weren't seeing is the time between things.
2: Mm.
1: And they weren't seeing the frequency of things. In, in other words, they were totally relying on something that they had no understanding of how that risk was going to be managed all they were seeing was the absence of something, not its presence. Wow! And when they inquired into it, uh, boy, did everything unfold like a pack of cards. And it really shaped the organization's belief in what they were trying to do because effectively they had outsourced it to someone Mm -hmm. but not understanding how it would actually work. Yeah, and so they and, were
0: compliant, right? They were
1: compliant. They had an AEB Well, they've, AEB they've got program. it. They've got, they've got a program. I mean, it's no different any other program they put in place. They, they've done those good things. Uh, okay. The other thing we, we actually got them to do, we got every senior manager to try it, to call the number. Wow. Okay? What happened? And they were scared of doing it. And I said, well, how, how can you... Um, uh, inform your people about something if you haven't tried it yourself. I said, I'm not suggesting that you have suicidal thoughts before you call a number. I'm not suggesting that. But why don't you find out what is the process? What does it look like? How do you get dealt with? What does it mean to you? Um, you know, rather than uh, over here, they're, they're doing s- crazy things like you know, first aid courses for workplace suicide. You know, yeah. Do you, do you want your frontline workers to be put in that, to, that position? You know, how much training does a person need before? To me, it's no different to um, if people say, you know, we want, pe- we want people to put fires out if something goes wrong in a factory. Well, that's not the person's job. They're not exposed to an environment of having to work with those hazards all the time. And you're asking them if a single event happens that they're gonna come in and they're going to do an amazing job. So I think from my point of view, what what the learning team really did was it basically gave clarity to the organization that the nature of the risk, the hazard, all these things was was much more variable than they ever thought. And it really questioned um, how they're going to control it. And mental health is something that we continue not to want to talk about because it's too difficult. And I'm wondering if in the world of COVID-19, if that's actually a good time for us to have that conversation.
0: Maybe, it's, a, it's, yeah. a, it's certainly needed right now.
2: Bob, you've had some experiences where I know you've done some, some learning teams and the mental health aspect sort of just came out in discussion. And there, there are a couple of people that you've worked with that have actually run learning teams specifically designed to have conversation around mental health right, around, you know, sharing ideas on, you know, how people are coping in, in stressful situations. So yep. there's there's absolutely, I mean, anytime you can create psychological safety where people are willing to have conversation, open and honest conversation and share ideas on, you know, how they think they can make things better, um, it, for sure, that, that's, a, that's a place where we have the ability to talk about difficult subjects that are very, very hard for us to talk about in, in other circumstances. And certainly- and the- impossible for someone to talk at us about, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly right, yeah, when you talk with people, and one of the learning teams that was led by one of our fellow hop learning team believers out there um, was with remote, I mean, it was with uh, the the workers that go to a camp and work for like 30 days on, 30 days off, and they have, they have EAP program there that virtually nobody uses, and she said, I want to understand what do people actually need, and she didn't, bring in the consulting companies that are trying to sell services which is what they had she brought in the people that are from the camp that work that live in these camps and found out what they needed very different things yes. very like they had the programs that were being put together and and the uh, you know the way that they set up the uh, cafeteria and the seating and that right mm-hmm. all these things that and, I, and I'm not picking on consultants right but they but they weren't listening to the voice of the people that live in that camp what they really needed was good wi-fi so that they can talk to their families on a regular basis what they really needed was some coaching from fellow workers who said hey before you go home maybe get on a good get on a like a really meaningful call with your spouse and say okay what have i missed while i've been gone like what are the kids their, their school grades there right so when i come home i have something to talk about so i don't come home and just say are you kidding me the mess is still in the kitchen right so so they they found that there were really meaningful things that the people from the camps told them that the EAP type programs weren't providing because they weren't asking. So that um, meant that's where the
1: yeah. Sorry, that, that meant they had to acknowledge that everyone is affected in their own way yeah. when they work in those isolated environments.
2: But it's also the the acknowledgement of of what you know what problem are we actually trying to solve? Right. Right. So I mean. Most, most difficulties with canned solution sets is that they also assume a canned problem. So, and, but until we talk to the people who are looking for help or needing help or can teach us what their reality is, we don't really have an understanding of the areas that we can take some action to make improvement until we can define what that actually is, then guessing as to how to solve it is you know, near impossible.
1: Well, look, it's interesting because your, your friends over the border in Canada we uh, were the first country in the world to publish a standard on psychosocial risks
2: yeah.
1: okay and they did an incredible job uh, based on on a seven-year um uh, process that they looked at and and what they said is that the most important thing is dialogue there is no yeah. one fix to this issue yeah. and okay. that people need to understand your framework of how you manage the risk, not the controls, but the framework.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that everyone's journey is different. Yeah. And and here's where has how we're going to support that journey. And organizations simply need to share what that journey looks like.
0: That could be a bit scary though, Brent, right? Because now it's starting to feel like, oh my goodness, it could you mean we don't have like a canned program we can put in place. It could literally go in a completely different direction than what I'm thinking. So Right, I mean, so that what they're saying is the dialogue's most important. Well, when you have that dialogue, you're gonna find out that with some organizations, it's gonna be something very different than another organization, it's not...
1: Yeah, well, not I funny. think there's this, uh, the, uh, part of it is that all of us are affected by mental health, okay? There was no one at a zero, okay? There's no one out there that, I mean, my, my daughter reminds me every day, at 14 she's completely feral, okay? But the thing, and, and Andrew, all the joys, all the joys. Embrace what you've got now, okay? Embrace <laughs> it. Um, but the thing here is that, um, and it's no different, we talk about you know, the variability, the blue line, the black line. Well, that's the same for our mental health. Okay? We're always variable in, in that way. And, and I think yep. this whole thing comes back to just simply uh, normalizing it, that that's actually okay
2: oh yeah i mean it's it's helpful to to be able to have discussions so that that people can also see the reflection of themselves and everyone else right I, to, huh. to understand you know that what we might have defined as normal is not necessarily you know the the normal that the rest of the world sees and if you if you always think you're on an island because you don't have a story that sounds like yours or looks like yours then then it's very difficult to you know even have the desire to want to have a conversation huh around is that
1: reflective it? practice that we see missing for mm-hmm. many people. And, and I'm talking now on the safety world. It's that reflective practice. And, and on learning teams, you call that psych time. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. But and an I don't know that
2: I don't know that we have a, a hard time maybe as individuals being reflective. I mean I think everyone is, you know, it's variable like everything else, right? So, you know, some some folks are are, you know, it's quite natural to them to to be reflective and and be very deliberate about it. But I, I mean, I I don't know that we function as humans without being reflective, right? Our, our brains do actually a pretty good job of, you know, assimilating right. new information. And I think the, the difficulty that we sometimes have is we don't always have a great forum or, or place to be reflective together as an organization, mm-hmm. right? Which Which makes it hard for us to do anything beyond an individual sphere of control, right? I can be reflective myself, but the only thing that I can do is solve whatever's in my own control to solve. Yeah, I need great. help and resources and ideas from from other people that have, you know, different spheres of control, that have different influence, that uh, have different resources in order to make sure that, you know, we actually can put an improvement in place to, to help everyone, not just not just me in my world at my moment in time. So that's that's kind of the fun thing about a learning team is we can amplify that that voice we can amplify that discussion we can in turn when we do lots of learning teams um, across across a large you know large part of the organization you actually amplify your resource of what you need because it's quite easy to put a really good argument together as to why we need to actually spend some resources on something when you can hear the reality that story from so many different places and so many different people struggling with the same things and then looking at the same same risks so
0: that um, probably gives you better information for what you want to fund right and what you want to change yeah. yeah. Because I get I know how this has worked in the past. When I was a maintenance manager, every year it'd be budget time and I'd be like, hmm, let me put some stuff together and I'd ask for a hundred thousand dollars for this and they'd say you get twenty thousand dollars, and I'd ask for fourteen for this and they'd give me three, right? But it'd be almost stuff that I would just kind of brainstorm last minute to make a budget. Now probably nobody else does it like that. Everybody else is much. Oh, I'm sure
2: better. Bob, everyone else right. is plans like five years ahead of time and has right, a very... Right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> when we do it, when we Both do operational learning, we, we, we learn so much stuff that that we can actually say, hey, you know what? This would be a good thing to go on. the This is this beyond the learning team's capacity to fix this. No problem. Let's take this as the story that it is and provide it to our leadership to say, hey, this is something that probably needs some attention and here's why. Here's the story behind it.
1: Is it a, that narrative? And look, Mm -hmm. that that reflective thing, um, absolutely, uh, as people, we all reflect in some way. Some of us are better than others, uh, that reflective Mm -hmm. process, um, because it's a a bit of a skill. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we don't use the skill, we lose it. And I think learning teams is really good at building that reflective practice for people. Um, But it's that reflective practice that allows us to more sort of build those uh, critical thinking skills.
0: Yep. Well, yeah. So, so even in times of crisis, like with uh, COVID-19, like I had the privilege and, and really honor of being asked to come into an essential manufacturing site for two weeks and basically run a two week long, you know, like every day was a learning team, right? To go into operations, spend my time with anybody and everybody that I could to learn, to listen faster, because there was so many things coming, right? CDC says this, who says that? Uh, the, the corporate office says this, the headquarters group, it was like whiplash to the people in the operations, right? And so it was really important, like you said, to sort of kick in our, our critical thinking skills and to listen faster. That's kind of where that came from with us is, uh, man, if we don't listen fast, we're going to put things in place that could actually cause harm that that we didn't even see coming. So we've got to get the voice of the worker in there quickly, right? As as all this stuff was changing, it was pretty remarkable. Because
1: you can't stop it changing, and that, that's the, I suppose that's the good side to a pandemic. <laughs> um, right. I, I I remember um, I, I remember um, uh, I had a fatal day four of the uh, of of COVID nineteen, and and I'm turning up in a hazmat suit because that's the only thing I've got that I think might be good for a virus. Well, um... Yeah and, yeah, and the authorities are there without masks or gloves. And my mm. response—they look at me like I'm an idiot, and I'm looking at them like they're an idiot. And, <laughs> and my response to them was, "Only time will tell." Great. <laughs> right. So let's let's just wrap up. Let, let's talk about what, what do you think is the future of learning teams? What do you see? Well, I,
2: I think that there's a, an interesting space that we're starting to see organizations sort of naturally move towards. Um, and that's when you have a lot of people within an organization that have the ability to um, operationally learn in many different ways—not just learning teams, but you know, across you know different platforms—that um, you are able to gather information in large enough quantities that you start to see pretty big connections between the struggles that are happening in one area and the struggles that are happening in others. Not—I mean, you don't even need like a data processing analytics tool to do it. It's just, it's actually quite obvious as you're as you're reading through sort of learning team, you know, summaries and stories. Um, and that gives us the ability to kind of holistically on a, a larger scale within an organization, take strategic action with resources that a local learning team might not have. And to me that's very exciting because I mean, one of the frustrating parts, I think, for anyone who's working at a local level in a facility or in the field is when you know that a, an issue exists and you just don't have the resources to address it. Right? You can do things locally to improve and, and you do because you know, that's not only you know, your role, but also what's helpful for everyone is that we can do continuous improvement, but the step change of doing some sort of innovation requires really good ideas which a lot of people can have but also sometimes not all the time but sometimes resources that we can't achieve at a local level and so to me that's very exciting to be able to put a lot of brains on a problem as well as more resource than we would have um, if we only have you know five or six people
0: in a room talking
1: right that's all part of that domain we call it domain ownership Mm
0: -hmm. yeah that's great and 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 I, I i think that the I think the learning team is headed for the Nobel Peace Prize. No, I'm kidding. So I think the learning team I think the learning team is is going to continue to build the voice of the worker. And it's going to bring value. It's going to continue to break Taylorism, right? It's an ism like all the other isms that need to be broken. And I think it's going to, I think it's it's I don't think it's really hard to even got it's it's just building momentum. I think it's gonna grow. I really hope that it grows. And it becomes maybe at one point it'll actually become like a part of our DNA to where we our first thing we want to do when something is a challenge or a problem or something has happened, or we just don't understand something is to go and learn and go listen to the people closest to the to the problem closest to the work. So that's what I'm, I think the future of it. I think it is going to just continue to grow as more and more people see the power of it and the value of it. And um, and then, you know, if you, if you get the Nobel Peace Prize, we will come there to, um, to cheer you on as well. We'll be in the crowd. Okay.
1: <laughs> whatever, whatever goes on, goes on, as I say. And um, for, for our listeners today, um, how can they get hold of you guys?
2: um hop probably hub. the easiest way yes hop hub i would guess so um www.hophub.org you know there's, a... there's
0: three there's three w's so you have to help these millennials out oh then. i'm sorry yeah yeah
2: <laughs> www yeah yeah three of them <laughs> and it's not .com. i'm pretty sure that's still owned by rule.
0: It is who does yeah who org, does, .org. It's .org. Right.
2: I'm pretty sure that's that's owned by somebody who who uh, sells beer is a beer advocate you
0: know, hub, Hub.com. Yeah. Uh, hub,
2: yeah um and there's just there's a group of us that are in a consortium and we um share our resources freely with people and so contact information is there and so Bob and my contact information is also there
1: that's great yep. Look, thank you both for sharing your journey with us today um it's always been great and and I hope um, that we'll be able to plan to meet up soon. I, I'm planning maybe 2022,
0: 2023. <laughs> Hopefully sooner than that. So I'm, I'm going to get on this flight and come to New Zealand right now. So I'll, I'll see.
1: <laughs> um, no look, come for the day. You'll spend two weeks in isolation first. We'll catch up for the day and then you'll spend two weeks on the way out. It's a great time. Yes. Yes. <laughs>
2: Thanks, right.
1: Thank Thanks you very for
2: much, for us.
1: Bye. Thank you listeners for being part of this podcast. We'd love to hear your learnings from today or other topics you would like us to support you on. Go to www.podcastlearnings.com and be part of the Community Practice of Learning Teams at www.learningteamscommunity.com